Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Thank you, Kim and Stephen. It feels like it's been a while since I've been up here, so I've saved up lots of words for you, at least for the next half hour or so. (laughs) You should have something to say. Uh, You know, I was uh, thrilled with last week how the body came together. I was thrilled to see the generosity of our church. I was thrilled to see the teamwork. I was thrilled to see people stepping up, and and it seemed like overall it it was a great opportunity for our church to kind of reflect heaven a little bit. And uh, that scripture that uh, Lindsay and Dali read, I, I kind of laugh when I, when I hear that. How many know that there was, it doesn't really say how many wise men there were in the scriptures. That's not very many of you. Do we need to revisit Matthew chapter? So, so it doesn't say, there was three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. And, and tradition kind of evolved into that there was three wise men and they even gave names even though it's not listed it just says wise men came from the east. I would think that they came in a caravan um, with, with probably some soldiers. Um, and it was no wonder that all of the city would be a little bit up in arms when a bunch of soldiers came in caravan into your city. Uh, at, at any rate, um, it's my understanding there was actually a fourth wise man. Um, and he brought fruitcake and then got kicked out because... <laughs> Um, not Carolyn's fruitcake. Carolyn makes the best fruitcake. However, aside from Carolyn's fruitcake, we think that there was one original fruitcake. Nobody eats it. They just cut it up and stick it in the freezer till next year and send it to someone else. Um, okay. Keep my day job, I know. <laughs> so we're going to be talking... And, and I know this kind of sounds funny, but we're going to be talking about Jesus a lot over the next few weeks until Christmas. Now, we talk about Jesus all the time, but we're going to be actually looking at his life in the Gospels. And uh, it's kind of the Jesus series. Today, I'm going to be focusing on Jesus in the book of Matthew as the king of the Jews. And, and people kind of often ask the question, like, why is there four Gospels? And I'm like, well, there's four different perspectives or four different parts of the ministry of Christ that the author of each of the books wanted to reveal. Um, and, and how many know that people see things very differently? Have you ever interviewed witnesses of an event or sequence that happened? Never? And you wonder sometimes if everybody was in the same room watching the same thing? Because, because sometimes, like, it's, it's, it's crazy what people... Like, for me, I watched a football game yesterday, and it seemed like the Blue and Mays beat that other team up pretty good. Others would say it was a close game till the end. You know, it just depends on who you talk to and what your perspective is and what you're looking for or what you're looking at. I mean, I can even tell Mitch that his team's doing pretty good right now. What are they, fourth in the league for points? Hey, have faith, bro. This is your year. <laughs> perspective, right? It's always, it's always perspective from the eye of the beholder. What are you looking at? Matthew had a perspective, Mark had a perspective, Luke had a perspective, John, and they both, they all, all four were revealing different aspects of the ministry of Jesus. 
And today, I want to focus on Matthew. And Jesus, in the book of Matthew, was presented as the king of the Jews, especially to the Jewish people. He was, he was presented as the promised Messiah. And for the Gentiles, that's the rest of us that are non-Messianic believers, um, he's our king. He's presented as the king, ultimately the king of kings. And I'm hoping to get to king of kings somewhere around Christmas Day, which is a Sunday this year. So it's going to be fun to do Sunday and Christmas and Christmas Eve. Anyway, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew starts, and remember, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was doing what he did, ripping people off, and Jesus walked up to Matthew and said, Matthew, follow me, and Matthew turned his life around and started following Jesus and stopped ripping people off. Did you catch that? There was a repentance part where he turned his life around, he started serving Jesus. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the king of the Jews, and he established right at the very beginning the lineage of Christ from the covenant established with Abraham through the line of David. So Jesus, we see through the genealogy, which I could talk about for probably three or four lessons if you want, because there's a lot in the genealogies. But Jesus was presented as the son of David who came to rule over the descendants of Abraham, which was, in this case, the Jewish people. And, and you cannot have a kingdom without a king, right? No king, no kingdom. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's army has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone and I've destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. You know, this is, this is kind of God talking to David or the prophet talking to David. This is what the Lord of heaven's army. Now, how many of you have heard of David and Goliath? Most of you? People that don't even go to church know about David and Goliath. Okay. He's pretty as famous as almost anyone who's ever lived. That's David. God made his name famous. I mean, on the same, on the same note, how many of you know who Jehu was? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> okay. And I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place. They will not be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them and they've, as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Interesting. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, how many know David died and was buried? He did. David died. He's got a tomb. It says, King David of Israel, you know, whatever it says. But he's in it. I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and secure his royal throne forever. And we saw this fulfilled in his son Solomon because Solomon came up and had one of maybe the strongest kingdoms in antiquity. He was at peace with everyone and he was prosperous and people from all over the world came to see how he ruled his kingdom, okay? And then he built the temple. Now, 
Keep in mind a couple things. That prophecy was actually fulfilled in the life of Solomon. And you also saw that Solomon got off course in verse 14. He was disciplined. He was chastised. And God had to bring him back into line. And how many know Solomon did get off course? He, he, he got really far off course. Um, I'll say this. Nowhere in God's design are humans supposed to have more than one wife. He had uh, a lot of wives and concubines, and uh, he got off course. And he started looking to the things of this world instead of the creator. And funny, in the end of his life, God steered him back, and he said, look at your creator now when you're young. It'll save you a lot of heartache and headache that I went through. But it gets confusing because there's a lot of people that read this as a dual fulfillment passage or a dual prophecy. They see it as a messianic prophecy about Christ, pointing to Christ to come later. But the problem with that, and I think I can explain it to you, Christ um, didn't sin. He lived without sin. You should know this to be true. Okay? And if you didn't know that to be true, Christ didn't sin. But Christ, substitutionary-wise, he became sin for us. And he was punished for our sin. Actually, he was punished for your sin. Say, so he was punished for my sin. Christ was punished for your sin, for my sin, for our sin. Okay? And that prophecy can be fulfilled in that, in that Christ was disciplined for our sin on our behalf, even though he didn't sin personally. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Thank God. Because if Jesus didn't become uh, the offering for our sin, we would have a big problem when we stood before God today. <laughs> okay? And then in Acts 2, 29 to 31, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. So in those days, they even knew where he was buried. Uh, but he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking in the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. So that's interesting. So at this point, when Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he's starting to connect the dots with all these Old Testament prophecies that were spoken through some of the prophets and people like David, and he's drawing connections to they pointed to Christ. Now I'm going to say this. Matthew probably did this better than anyone else in the Gospels drawing, drawing the connections between the Old Testament prophecies to point to Jesus as the king. Uh, Paul might have had a little bit more revelation overall, but at least in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's the context of the Gospels, Matthew did a great job of connecting the dots to the Old Testament scriptures. And he drew on more Old Testament scripture, I think, than the others did. And that's because he was making a case to the Jewish people to present Jesus as the Messiah, the King that was promised. And then, okay, Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some of the men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. 
Jump down to Matthew 21. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. See, he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. There, there was this, Matthew constantly, is what I'm trying to say, was drawing from the Old Testament scriptures. In this case, Zechariah 9.9, rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king's coming. He's righteous and victorious. And you're gonna see this theme of righteousness, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the kingdom, all through the book of Matthew. You see the righteousness comes forth, okay? And then um, he'll be riding on a donkey on a donkey's colt. Matthew drew some very clear lines to demonstrate that Jesus really was the promised Messiah and he is the king of the Jews. Now, leaving that behind, he presented Jesus as the king. He established his lineage first. And then we move on and, and keep in mind... The word kingdom, I think it appears about 160, 162 times in your Bible. Okay. 55 times it's in the book of Matthew. About one third of the times it's used in your New Testament, the word kingdom is in the book of Matthew. I think Matthew had a, a message for people. Start in Matthew 3. Now you're going to see in Matthew 3 through chapter 13, the kingdom is mentioned in every chapter. Read through it multiple times in some of the chapters. And I won't go through all of them. I'll just see how many we can get to. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. John, the forerunner, the one who went before Christ, he had a message. Repent, turn to God, and get baptized. How many said amen? Okay. And then if you jump to Matthew 4 in verse 17, Jesus began to preach. What did Jesus say? Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repentance in the kingdom of God. Turn from your sin in the kingdom of God. It's near. Then in, in verse 23, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. Now we teach the gospel and we talk about, we talk about this, okay? Let me explain it. Jesus, he came onto planet Earth through a virgin, a woman who had never been with a man. It was a miracle, okay? He lived a sinless life, as the scripture stated. I read that already. He was crucified on a tree, on a cross, okay? For your sin and mine as the substitutionary sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the one who took the sins of the world, he paid the sin debt himself. So all of the, the payment for sin, the payment for shame, the wrath of God that would be poured out on your life without a penalty of sin being paid, that was all poured out on Christ. His body was broken so you could be healed, mind, body, and spirit restored to wholeness. Okay, so, so and then he went into the grave for three days and nights and then he rose from the dead where he ascended into heaven to be with God the Father, and he's going to return to judge the living and the dead. And if that doesn't get your attention, it should. <laughs> okay? Because he will return, and he will judge every man according to their works. And I'll go so far as to say, he'll judge you based on your assignment and how obedient you were to the assignment on your life. Okay? Now, this is the gospel of the kingdom. This 
touches on so many things for Christians because it touches on repentance, where we turn our life around and turn from sin. It touches on receiving forgiveness. It touches on living a righteous life. If you love me, you obey my commandments, okay? It touches on things like baptism. Why? Because baptism was a pronunciation, a proclamation to the world that you're now a citizen of the kingdom of God. When someone gets baptized, it's a public encounter with Christ where it's a reflection of what happened in their heart when God changed their heart and they declare, hey world, I live as a citizen of heaven now. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. But see, it's so much more than just the, the proclamation. You are empowered by the spirit of Christ that lives within you to make the invisible kingdom visible to the world around us. And we do this all the time because we have our identity secure in Christ. And if your identity is not secure in Christ, if you do not realize that you are a Christian, you're, you're secure in that, you're gonna struggle with this. And, and, and if you look at biblical times when they looked at baptism, some of the language that they used had to do even with a signet ring and a seal. And essentially, when you get baptized, you get the seal of God on your life and you become his. Now, when you belong to the great shepherd, the great shepherd will shepherd you. He'll protect you. He'll keep you. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He'll provide for your needs. It's almost like, you know, if you were to take sheep, people that herd sheep or raise sheep, often farmers would brand their sheep or their cows or their steer. It makes it much more difficult to steal a sheep that's been branded, doesn't it? If it's not branded, it's easy to say, oh, well, it's mine, I'm gonna give it to you. But once it's branded, they know clearly that it's not yours because that's not your brand. You see what I'm talking about? If we belong to Christ, we're sealed. There's a protection, there's a safety there. If you're not sealed, you may not be accessing all that God has for you. Now, now, Matthew 5, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned multiple times. Beginning with the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount and he's talking about how Christians are supposed to live but the idea is the kingdom of heaven is here and it's now and it will ultimately rule over all the kingdoms of the world. But keep in mind as he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, there's a righteousness component to the kingdom. We're supposed to live a certain way. We're supposed to have a certain standard. There's a certain level of holiness on the lives of the followers of Jesus. You wanna be blessed, you live according to what he taught us. Move on to Matthew 6. Maybe I will make it through more. Matthew 6, the Lord's teaching us to pray. I mean, how many of you learned this prayer when you were young? And some of you are going, but I'm young now. Well, maybe you learned this prayer. How does it go? Our Father who art in heaven. You guys are doing great. So you know the Lord's prayer. You learn this. Did you catch the part about the kingdom? When Jesus was teaching us the model for prayer, he inserted your kingdom. He inserted the kingdom, why? Because as Christ's followers, we are here on planet Earth to be executors or authoritative enforcers of the kingdom of God. 
Everywhere Jesus went when he was on planet Earth, he healed all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. He cast out demons every time he encountered one. And let me tell you something. The demonic knew who he was. When he walked up and the demons were like, hey, what are you doing here? You're, you're not, are you coming to judge us before? Jesus, you're not supposed to be here. They were terrified. Because they recognized that Jesus was the king. And all authority belongs to the king. The spirit world recognized it. The blind people, Jesus, son of David, they knew who he was. Lepers. He, everywhere he went, he brought freedom and released people from bondage. And when they were released from bondage, the message is the kingdom has come to you. The kingdom has come to you. So when people get born again, they get repenting of their sin and they turn their life around, the kingdom has come into their life. When people receive healing, the kingdom has come to them. When people get set free from the demonic, the kingdom has come to them. This is how Jesus lived. <laughs> he ends chapter six with this verse that says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. First, seek the kingdom. Then live righteously and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So many people don't seek the kingdom of God, they seek their own agenda. So many people seek the kingdom of God, but they don't choose to live righteously because they don't understand that fornication and adultery and gluttony and gossip are all sin. They don't get it. They don't live righteous, but they don't get the results that they want. See, when you put God first, his assignment, his agenda, his plan, when you prioritize your life according to what God tells you to do and live righteous, he provides you with the food, clothing, and shelter that you need. The food, the clothing, the shelter. Now here in North America, 2022, <laughs> we get confused on the difference between what's a need and what's a greed. Because <laughs> you can live without a lot of stuff that you have. But you can't live without some things, food, water, clothing, shelter. God says he will provide everything that you need, right? Everything that you need. And then when he blesses us with more, he wants us to also be a blessing to others who have less. Which is why we constantly keep it before. Why do we do four weeks again? Why do we do four weeks again? Because we want to bless people that don't have as much as we do. Why do we sow into guest speakers' lives? Why do we sow into other people's ministries? Why do we give to the poor? Why do, we, why do we sow into the... Because God has blessed us. We're blessed. You don't realize the poorest of the poor in this room is blessed. I would love to take some of you that think differently back to Asia when I was there about 25 years ago and go just outside of Manila into a little little village where they had the little huts <laughs> with cardboard. And that's how people lived. And one person in an entire subdivision had running water. I don't even know how good the water was, but one person in the entire subdivision had running water. 
for like 5,000 people. We don't know how good we've got it. We can turn on a tap and have a drink. And the water you get from the tap isn't gonna kill you even though some of us are water snobs. We have to drink it from a bottle or from a purifier. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying, we don't realize how blessed we are. See, God, he teaches the kingdom. You put the kingdom first, which means that nothing I possess belongs to me because I don't even belong to me. Did you hear that? I don't belong to me. I belong to him. Therefore, what he wants, I will do. Because I took my life that was leading to nothing and I exchanged it for a life that had purpose at the cross one day. Our king is humble. He lived among humans. I mean, think about it. He was born in Bethlehem, little tiny village, (laughs) you know. And then he was raised in Nazareth and Nazareth was like a despised place, like His enemies thought they could use that against him because he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. And could any good thing come out of Nazareth? Do you remember reading that? (laughs) If they would have done their research, they would have realized that he was born in Bethlehem. And oh, by the way, that fulfills the biblical mandate that that's where the Messiah was going to be born. And then it talked a little bit later about how Rachel was going to be crying because Herod was going to go and kill all the babies. But, you know. They couldn't connect the dots on that because they were so arrogant and proud. See, the, the Jewish leaders of the day, Pharisees, Sadducees, their religion revolved around the temple, the one Solomon built. And their whole community, their whole way of life revolved around the temple. And then, and then they, they built all these rules and regulations around the temple and it became a religion And sometimes in churches, we create structures that are very religious, which is why, why do we talk? Listen, you listen to what the Spirit of God says and you obey. We read what the Bible says so that we stay on track and we don't get into weird stuff, okay? Because how many know there's some weird stuff out there? People do some weird things sometimes and they blame God, okay? I talked to someone earlier today and she's like, is there anywhere in the Bible where it talks about we're supposed to be able to talk to dead people? I'm like, well, it's called necromancing. It's, it's sinful. You're talking to a familiar spirit. It's not, it's not righteous. It's unrighteous. We don't commune with the dead. We commune with the living. So, so people can get into weird stuff sometimes, especially if they don't know what their Bible says. Now, Jesus was humble. He patiently trained and activated his disciples to go and announce the kingdom. Have you read Matthew 10? He sent them out. What did he send them out to do? Announce the kingdom of God. Go and preach the good news. Preach the gospel. I talked about with that. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. And when they heal the sick, guess what? The kingdom of God has come to you. It's all about the kingdom. Jesus came <laughs> as the king and he launched his kingdom. Think about this. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus was so brave and bold as to make a statement, and they hated him for it. He said, I tell you, there's one here who's even greater than this temple. Boy, did they get a little bit irritated with him when he said that. 
I mean, he made some other truth claims like I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He made some pretty amazing truth claims. He was talking to them because they were criticizing his disciples because they took some grain out of the field and they ate it because they were hungry on the Sabbath day. Missing the whole point of the day of rest. But Jesus was saying, look, I'm the Lord of this. I'm even greater than the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of this. I created the Sabbath for you. <laughs> Think about that. I'm the one that instituted that. You forget. I'm the one that spoke the universe into existence. I'm the one. We forget he's the king. And when you start interacting with our Lord as the king, it changes your perspective and it changes your language when you talk to him. Because some of you pray to him like he's your friend, <laughs> your buddy. He's the ruling king. And we, we, we lose something in that translation. And yes, you know what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a reverential awe and respect that needs to find its place into our heart when we approach the throne room. Otherwise, we're doing it wrong. I told you the kingdom of God is mentioned in each chapter 3 through 13. Jesus fulfilled all of the law and the prophets of the old covenant through his life, death here on planet earth. Now here's the thing that I want to get to. The king, our king, has commissioned his followers, that's you and I, you call yourself a Christian. And on that note, if you have never repented of your sin, you are not a Christian. I don't care what you call yourself. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness. You cannot be a son or a daughter of the king if you haven't repented and forsaken your sin. Okay. Can't. And he commissioned his followers, hear this, to make disciples who make disciples. Nowhere does it say to make converts and say the prayer. Matthew 28, 18. Ends the book, Matthew. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So if Jesus has all authority in heaven and Jesus has all authority on earth, how many know that Jesus has all authority everywhere? There's not too many other places besides on earth and, and above earth. <laughs> like, that's it. He's got all authority. Therefore, because I've been given all authority, what's he telling his followers to do? Go, make disciples of all nations. Like I said, last week was a little taste of heaven with maybe 70 different people groups coming together to worship together. My Bible tells me in heaven, it's gonna be every nation, every kindred, every time. We represented a few. There's many more that still need to come in. Let's start practicing what heaven looks like here on earth. Why not? Okay, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teach them Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus has given an assignment to everyone who calls himself a Christ follower. He's given you a command, he's given you a mission. People say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'll tell you what he wants you to do. He wants you to make disciples who make disciples. He already revealed it to us in his book. You don't need a word from God or an angel from heaven to tell you to come and do this. He's already told us to do it but I need the great revelation. No, you don't. You need to just be obedient to what you've already been told to do. And if you can just do what you've been told to do, he'll open up more doors for you and he'll show you specifics. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
In other words, he said to his disciples, you're going to go and you're going to preach the good news. You're going to preach this message. You're going to share the love of God with people. You're going to share hope with people. You're going to teach people to follow my commands and teachings and to be obedient to what I've told them to do. There's a righteous component of that, living righteous, okay? And you're going to teach them to go teach others, okay? So there's this multiplication. There's this generational. There's this ongoing process. But he says, you know, when we obey the king, not everybody is serving the king. How many know this? There might be people sitting next to you not serving the king, but not everybody's serving the king. And not everybody is favorable towards the king's servants. And sometimes in life, stuff is gonna happen to you and you're gonna have to go through situations and hardship and hard times and you're gonna have adverse things happen and things are not gonna always be pretty and happy and daisies and butterflies. But he says, I am with you. I'm not gonna forsake you when you walk through the hard stuff. I'm going to be right there with you when you walk through the hard stuff. And, and there's a part of this where we got to catch. He's given us an assignment to train people to make disciples, Christ followers. Do we take on the nature and the character of Christ? Are we more concerned about our prosperity and our comfort? Or are we more concerned about souls and seeing people conform to the character of Christ? Because you're going to live accordingly. You're going to spend your time, your talent, your money based on what's most important to you. And if Christ is not the number one priority in your life, you're doing it wrong. And I say that with humility and confidence. If Christ is not your number one priority, you're not doing it right. And you're not going to get the outcome you want. See, He's the king. Matthew did such a good job of revealing Christ the king to his people. Not just to the Jewish people as the promised Messiah, to the Gentiles as the king of kings. Jesus is worshiped. He's referred to as the son of David, the son of God. As I stated, even his enemies knew who he was, the demons. Okay. Sick people were healed and set free from bondages. Lame people walk, blind eyes are open, the kingdom of God has come. Where Jesus went, he took the kingdom with him. He represented the kingdom. He's the king. And he initiated, he instituted, and he used the authority given him to make the kingdom happen. As image bearers made in the image of God, as Christians who take on the nature and the character of Christ, do you realize that we are here on planet Earth as ambassadors? We represent the kingdom of God. And see, in a few minutes, I'm gonna tell you that you've been equipped, now go be the church. We don't just do church on Sunday morning for an hour and a half inside these walls. That is not church. The church is you and I living empowered lives, listening to the Spirit of God, taking the message of hope out to the world out there that needs it so desperately. And I'm not kidding you, the world needs the hope that we have, more so now than maybe it has in a long time. Because the truth is, man, is it messy out there. 
Man, is there a lot of hurting, angry, bitter people out there. Man, is there some lonely people out there. And you have the hope that they need within you. Yet we take the light that we've been given. And we go, I'll light it again next Sunday when I'm around God's people or in two weeks when I decide to come back because next week I'm going to sleep in. I'm trying to communicate that there's a real king and there's a real kingdom and we all have a part in that kingdom and if we're really gonna do what God has called us to do and fulfill the assignment on our life, then some need to get really serious about this because God's not kidding when Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. That means you do what he says, not you do the parts that you like and ignore the parts you don't like. The truth is, if every person that calls this place their home, just put their ties into the storehouse, we would have enough money for missions to go beyond. The truth is, if everybody just stepped up and served somewhere, we would have no lack of volunteers. I wouldn't even have to request people to do volunteers because the teams would be full. I'm not talking to the people that are already serving in three ministries. I'm talking to the people that are warming the chair on Sunday and then you're not engaged with what the kingdom of God is calling you to do day in, day out? Are you serving in your community? Are you serving your neighbor? Are you loving people outside the four walls of this place? Some of you can't even love your fellow Christians. How are you gonna love the world? I love you, but I gotta tell you the truth. We serve a real king. He's got a real kingdom. Matthew presented him as the king. We have an obligation and a mission that's been assigned to us by Christ to go and share the kingdom with others. Stand up with me. Jesus, when he died, he cut a covenant with his own blood for you and me so that we can be a part of his kingdom, so that we can be a part of his family. We can be citizens of heaven. Everybody likes that part. There's no taxes. There's a certain lifestyle that's demanded. And as we come to celebrate the covenant meal, we want to celebrate the brokenness of Christ because he took all your sin and all your shame and all the judgment and wrath of God, all your sickness, he took it on himself so that we don't have to walk that way. And fathers, we have the broken bread in our hand. As Jesus' body was broken for us, we're so grateful to you, ruling king. The one who's been given all authority, we're so grateful to you. Help us to honor your wishes and your commands. Help us to obey those things that you've instructed us to do, even when it's hard. Thank you for the grace you've given us to be empowered to live the Christian life, to live righteously. You've put it within us to love people. It's part of your nature, the new nature you've given us. Help us to crucify our flesh each day. Drive out the sickness and disease and bring forth life in Jesus' name. The blood of the new covenant. Jesus' blood initiated the new covenant. Where there is forgiveness, there is freedom. You repent, you receive forgiveness. There's another condition. We have to forgive others so that we can receive forgiveness too. Because unforgiveness just stops you from receiving. 
Father, we release anyone that's wronged us, anyone that's hurt us. We let it go. We lay down our vendettas. We choose to wish people well. Father, I thank you that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. He bore the wrath of God so we didn't have to. And we are grateful. We release forgiveness and receive it now as we acknowledge you, the ruling king today, in Jesus' name. So before you run out the door, there's lots of opportunities that present themselves to you every day. I want to encourage all of you, be obedient to the leading and the guiding of the spirit. They're looking for some people to sign up to maybe help with the four weeks of giving, serving the food and prepping the food. You can give donations to that. There is, down the hall, there's some children that need to be adopted. We wanna be a blessing, because you're generous, because that's how we live. As we enter the hustle and the bustle of this season, let's remember that Jesus is the main reason that we celebrate. We don't need to get caught up in all the nonsense of the world. Let's focus on being obedient image bearers who make the invisible kingdom visible to others. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you've been equipped. Now go. Amen. The altars are open. If you need prayer for whatever reason, people will pray for you. God bless you.